This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host... Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How Good morning, are you? Wally. How are you? Uh, voice a little raspy this morning, Naz. The uh, air conditioning and uh, the change in the weather has finally cut up, cut up with me and uh, fighting off a little, uh, fighting off a little head cold, as they say. But uh, otherwise, doing great. Weather doesn't look that great today. Hey, can't but you see outside the window here. Pretty, pretty dark and miserable here downtown this morning. So hopefully, I know that. Uh, if you're driving around downtown th- this morning, a lot of the gardener and maybe the lakeshore or whatever, check where you, check where you have to go because some of these roads are, are, closed, are yeah. closed or have detours. And uh, I think there's some sort of a race going on or cycling or running or whatever. So uh, you might get tied up there. Anyways, Naz, uh, before we get into it, just get, let our listeners know uh Obviously, the big story this week in Toronto was the uh, the Rosen uh, Leonard uh, um, trade, and uh, shortly after the first break, we'll be talking to Raptors analyst uh, Leo Routens. We'll get his take on it, and in the middle of the hour, something uh, something earth shattering might happen on the other side of the pond this afternoon. There's of course tigers in the hunt, as they say. Uh, four strokes off the pace. Uh, they call it the Open Championship. I'm not even sure we can call it the British Open anymore. They all get upset. So it's the Open Championship. This uh, it's Actually, they're going off now. Tiger's going to be teeing off in about 20 minutes or so. And Jordan Spieth uh, in the leader with Kevin Kisner and uh, uh, the other kid's name escapes me. This is uh, Xander. Um, it was the PGA Rookie of the Year last year, anyways. Um, and uh, they're going off at about 9.45. So if uh, Tiger gets himself in the hunt, that's going to be earth-shattering. Uh, we'll be talking to Global Golf Post founder and uh, senior writer John Steinbretter. John's been with us quite a few times, one of the world's great golf writers. And certainly we love to chat some golf. Uh, Naz, before we get into the Raptors, uh, interesting week. I got something I got to get off my chest. And it's a week ago, but it's the World Cup of Soccer. I'll keep this brief. Uh, I thought that was a horrendous call, um, that penalty call against Croatia in the 38th or 40th minute gave France the lead. I thought it totally changed the complexion of the game. Uh, I'm surprised there wasn't a bigger controversy over it. Um, the referee initial call in the field was that it was not a penalty call. It went to, went to video-assisted review. Somehow he found something there that made him overturn his call. Um, just the wrong call, the wrong place, the wrong time. World Cup final. Um uh, would have Croatia have won the game? I don't know. Uh, France, I, you know, France is a deserved winner. Not to take it away from France, 
but just one of the most horrendous calls in, in my books in, if you want to call it soccer history, in a moment in a World Cup final, to make that call when Croatia is leading all the stats in that game, had tied the game up, and you overturn that call to me without clear and convincing proof. Uh, just just horrendous, uh, but all kudos to France and Croatia. It was a tremendous game. Uh, soccer played at the highest skill level, and once again, all the congratulations to, of course, the French team who've got some incredible talent on the team, and to Croatia, a plucky underdog, 4 million people, got to the highest level. Somehow I think they deserve some a better better result, And uh, but I just thought it was horrendous. I've heard I, the first goal was a giveaway, too. There was a foul on, uh, yeah. on uh, the France player, but it uh, shouldn't have been called. It was Anyways, a, I got it off dive. my chest. I got it off my chest. It's all history now. It's all for the history books. Not worth talking about anymore. Uh, we'll see how the soccer historians talk about it 25, 30, 40 years from now. Anyways, we thought we wouldn't be talking much hockey and much basketball in the summer, Naz. As it turns out, in Toronto, uh, the, the, the boys of winter, uh, both from, uh, from a hockey and from a basketball perspective, have kept, uh, kept the sports guys busy. And uh, um, we talked about it last Sunday with Butch Carter because the rumors had come out immediately before uh, last weekend. Although I guess in certain circles, those rumors were circulating for a significant amount of time. But I was caught a little bit off guard uh, middle of uh, the week before when they started talking about DeRozan to San Antonio for Kawhi Leonard. Uh, And then as the week heated up at the end of last week, and we talked about it with Butch last Sunday... When we talked about last Sunday, we weren't convinced this was going to happen. No, uh, not at all. And then, and then it happened, and it just it all exploded. Um, and it literally in in Toronto sports history, uh, this is now being talked about as one of the most significant trades in Toronto professional sports history. And and you know we'll have to see how it turns out. Uh, to evaluate the trade, uh, my initial thoughts about it is: if you're Masayu Jury, you got if it's on if this trade's on the table, you know, with all the greatest respect for Demar Rosen and what a valuable member of the community he's been, you got to make the deal. You got to make the deal. And if there's one trade that this reminds me of, uh, it's it sort of reminds me of the Wendell Clark Matt Sundin trade. In this sense. Um, you're trading somebody who's completely and utterly beloved in the city, which is, if anybody was more beloved than Wendell Clark uh, at that point in his career, mm-hmm. I can't imagine. I mean, he was just revered by Toronto hockey fans and Toronto sports fans. But he was, you know, he was, I wouldn't say at the tail end of his career, but, you know, he wasn't the, he wasn't somebody who was able to take the Leafs to the promised land, and that's no disrespect to him. There were some pretty brutal teams he played on. There were some good teams he played on, played, too. Well, the nine, oh, of course. I'm sorry. I, I, let, let, me, let, let me retract that. You're absolutely right for correcting me, Naz. That when Gilmore came in and they had made that big, Fletcher made that big deal with uh, with the Flames. Yeah, I mean, we had some, we had a team that people thought should have gone to the Stanley Cup Finals mm-hmm. yep. and would have been beaten Montreal, according to all the prognosticators. But Naz, uh, 
In in uh, your assessment, uh, in where this fits in in Toronto sports history in terms of mammoth trades or seismic trades, it's uh, it's a pretty good one. Uh, it, it's a good comparison with Wendell Clark and Matt Sundin. But look what ended up happening. Wendell Clark ended up being the more popular guy at, in the end at the end of the day, right? Over over Sundin. Sundin is popular, but not as popular as Wendell Clark. DeRozan is not in the same. Um, I, sh- I shouldn't From say From a basketball perspective, perspective he's yeah. pretty beloved. He's pretty Naz. close, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we tend to be more hockey guys than basketball exactly. guys. But, uh, you know, interesting, you know, um, you know, and you look back to that Clark Sundin trade. Of course, that was a that was a great it was trade. A great it's trade a great for trade the for the Leafs. Come on, let's yeah. let's let's be honest. And ultimately, Wendell came back. at the tail end of his career. Uh, but sort of, you, you've got that you've got that trade between you know the guy who's beloved and the guy with the talent, right? And by all reports, I, I can't say that I'm a big uh, Kawhi Leonard fan. I, I really don't know much about his game, and I do want to ask Leo Routens. Uh, want to break down uh, why Kawhi Leonard's one of the best basketball players in the league? We've all heard of his excellence from a defensive point of view. If he isn't the best defensive uh, basketballer in the in the uh, in the NBA, uh, he's certainly in that discussion. In some people's minds, he's in discussion of the top three or top five players in the game. I think that might be a bit of a stretch. Um, I, you know, I can't see him up there with LeBron or James Harden or Stephon Curry or Kevin Durant. I think he's in the, maybe in the next echelon, uh, but certainly top ten player in the NBA, perhaps lingering around the number five, six, and uh, you got an opportunity. Some people are saying top three. Well, yeah, and I want to. I want to based uh, on his defensive capabilities. Yeah. Based, yeah. yeah. Um, so you got an opportunity to put a top three, top five player on your team. Uh, with you know, with all due respect for Demar Rosen, you know Masai, you got to be crazy if you don't take that chance. Yeah, he had to stir it up. The coaching change was one thing, but getting a guy like that in here is another. And I don't think he's done yet. I think there's another piece to follow here. And I don't know what it is, but there is a piece to follow for sure. Yeah, we, I mean, we had an interesting discussion last week uh, uh, with Butch, and um, and, uh, and we talked about uh, intangibles and commitment. But um, you know what? I guess, you know, so far there are those who are saying, good job, Masai Ujiri. Yeah, my understanding is Kawhi is in town. Yeah, he was in town for the weekend, yeah. yeah. And that's that's one of my big concerns is he didn't play much last year. Anyways, we've got to go to break, and we're going to continue talking about the uh, Kawhi Leonard and DeMar DeRozan trade. There's some other pieces in that trade as well that we should have a little chat about. And nobody better to chat about it than Leo Routens, a Raptors analyst. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I realised there comes a time when one must ask the question, Who am I? Sure, I'm known for my suave, silky voice, my leading man good looks, especially now that the rash on my forehead has cleared up. But who are my ancestors? The people who made me, me. I had my DNA tested, and as it turns out, I'm 73% Italian. No wonder I had chest hair in grade two. It all makes sense now. The first words I spoke were with my hands. That's why I love Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. It's as Italian as the country I'm from. I've decided to visit the old country and explore my Italian roots. You can come too. Now, where'd I put my tight pants? 
Stay tuned for my Italian trip home. Pizzaville Stone Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000 square foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Where we are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740, downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM, on the internet, live video streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Raptors analyst, Leo Routens. Good morning, Leo. How are you? I'm great. How are you this morning? We're doing good, uh, Leo. Uh, I thought uh, you'd have a nice, peaceful summer, and uh, you could have a couple of weeks off. Wouldn't have to chat much basketball, but uh, things heated up uh, this week. Uh, and very, very quickly, Leo, give us your assessment of Kawhi Leonard to Toronto, of course, with Danny Green and DeMar Rosen and Jacob Podol to San Antonio. Your immediate assessment. Well, I thought, uh, you know, it was a, it was a gutsy move by Messiah Jerry. And, and quite honestly, you know, once he, once he got rid of Dwayne Casey, the coach of the year, uh, he couldn't just stay status quo. He had to do something different. Uh, otherwise, uh, that move wouldn't have made sense. And to be able to pull this off, and, and my, my initial reaction was, wow, this is, this is pretty good in terms of what the Raptors had to give up. Yes, they did have to give up an all-star in DeMar DeRozan, but you're not getting a, a potentially, in my opinion, healthy top three player unless you're going to give up an all-star. So that's a given. But then to have a Jakob Pertl, you know, he's a good young player. He doesn't have all-star written all over him. Um, and and then a protected first-round pick, which could turn into two, te- two second-round picks. So uh, when I looked at what the Raptors actually gave up, um, I thought this is amazing. And then the throw-in of Danny Green, who uh, I, I really like as a as a solid role player for the Toronto Raptors, a guy that can shoot the three, play defense. So now you have two two players that play tremendous defense. Uh, they can both shoot the basketball. They're both smart. They come from a great system. Um, 
and it puts the Raptors in a very unique situation. I thought, you know, I thought that the Raptors were a top three team in the East prior to this trade. And now I would say that they would be the Eastern favorites, in my opinion. Leo, what should we expect in Leonard coming to Toronto? Well, you get it. Like I said, if, if, if he's healthy, and, and, and I also think it's a good time for him based on what, everything that happened this year. Uh, you know, he's got something to prove. Um, you know, if he, if, he, if he doesn't go back to being himself, uh, people say, okay, you know, San Antonio was right. If he comes back to being himself, then people can blame San Antonio, uh, and and he can establish himself again in this league. So it's a good time to get him. Um, I guess I believe he is a top three player when healthy, and he's a guy that just you know he Masai made one comment, and this is the way I look at him too. He's he's a basketball player. He plays the game the right way. There's no flash. There's no there's, there's no pop in circumstances. This guy just plays. Uh, like I said, arguably the, you know, I'm not even arguably, I'd say he's the best wing defender in the game. Uh, he can guard multiple positions. Uh, he can shoot the three, he can put the ball on the floor, go to the basket, uh, but just does plays the entire game the right way all the time. So that's a huge, huge asset. So, um, you know, and, and, and when your best, I'm, I'm a firm believer in this, that when, you're, when your best player is your hardest worker and your best defender, you're going to have great success because that passes all the way through, um, and that was, you know, quite frankly, one of the issues with Demar Derozan. That uh, in a lot of ways he was a liability at the defensive end, and and that hurt this team in in their quest to go further. Uh, we're talking to Leo Routens, and Leo, you uh, you touched on it. You analyzed uh, trying to trying to uh, get your assessment of, uh, and uh, you, start, you started analyzing Kawhi Leonard. Uh, where does he fit in in this in this Raptors team uh, in terms of uh, you know they use the terms one two three four five where is he and um, when he matches up let's say playing a game against uh, the Warriors or the Sixers or the Celtics uh, what defensive matchup does he get? Well, he gets the best one. I mean that's how good he is, and and quite honestly, Danny Green, uh, who's also in this trade, uh, at times guarded the best uh, the best perimeter player for San Antonio. So uh, that's how good both of these guys are at the defensive end. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is a two-time Defensive Player of the Year, and Danny Green has been on the NBA All Defensive Team. So that tells you how good uh, how good they are. And really, there's there's no. Uh, you know, no effort, I believe, to fit these guys in just because of the, their ability to play the game. Um, Kawhi Leonard, he's a three, small forward. That's where he's played uh, his entire time. But defensively, he can guard. He can guard literally everybody on the floor. Uh, that's how good he is. So, if you're playing, like for example, if you're playing uh, Philadelphia, he can guard Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, six six ten backcourt player. You you play Lakers, you'll guard LeBron James. You play Golden State, he can guard you know anyone from uh, depending on the situation in the game, from Steph Curry to Kevin Durant to Clay Thompson. So uh, you know he, he's he's a tremendous defender and somebody that uh, you know you give it gives the Raptors haven't had somebody like him. I mean, uh, I think Masai made it made it very clear that. You know, um, top three, top five players are very difficult to come by. Uh, uh, and very, very, you know, 
and the Raptors have never had really access to one. And to be able to, by virtue of all the negative things that happened, you know, in San Antonio, it opened the door for them to get their hands on one. So uh, it was a, it was a great opportunity. He couldn't pass up. Um, you know, Leo, I want to talk, uh, take advantage, obviously, of your basketball insight here. Uh, for for the uninitiated, you know, uh, evaluating basketball talent usually usually uh, pertains to offensive stats. We all know the offensive stats. We uh, we all know uh, three point average, uh, points per game, defensively. Uh, that in basketball, except for the purists, gets tend to be left by the wayside, and it seems like only the purists under, really understand the difference a defensive basketballer can make to a team. What is it? The qualities of Kawhi Leonard. What when we when we watch him on the court when he's playing for the Raptors, what should we look for? What makes him a great defensive player? Well, he's got an unbelievable body. I mean. Uh, He's strong as a horse. He's quick. He's fast. He's got a great wingspan. Um, he plays extremely smart. And when you're watching, you'll see that he just, you know, he just takes you out of what you want to do. He makes everything difficult for you. He knows what your weaknesses are, and that's what great defenders do. They know your weaknesses and your strengths, and they play you to your weaknesses. And uh, you know, so it doesn't, you know, um, you know, he, he, for example, he, he's not going to be out there blocking shots, but he will get a, uh, he will block shots because he's got great position and playing you the right way. Uh, he'll get steals not because he's gambling and trying to steal the ball, because he's got great position and he's playing the angles and he knows where he's supposed to be on the floor. Um, so you know, the fact that and what you're getting, and I think a lot of people, you know, if you want to, if you want to talk offense. It's not a bad idea to talk defense because if you can generate points off of your defense, the game becomes easier. Uh, if you're turning people over, you know, getting steals, getting blocks, getting out and running, uh, forcing bad shots, getting the rebound, which is the critical part, forcing bad shots, getting the rebound, you get great opportunities to score before before the defense is set, before anybody can lock up and, and try to play you five on five. So uh, defense creates a lot of good offense. So now with Kawhi Leonard and with uh, with Danny Green in the mix, uh, you see the Raptors play. You know, and the Raptors were you know were a top ten offensive and defensive team last year. Uh, you're going to see that go to another level because having a couple of guys like that, or even a Kawhi on the floor, it raises the level of everybody else. It holds everybody else to a higher standard. Uh, less mistakes are made uh, on the floor, which puts people in bad situations. So. Uh, defense becomes a, a huge factor uh, going forward, having these two players in. Leo, how does Kyle Lowry react with Leonard coming in? Well, Kyle Lowry has made it clear if you don't win a championship, it's not a good season. I mean, he said that after the last two playoff exits. Uh, even after last year, 59 wins, great year. Uh, he goes, it's not a great year if we don't win a championship. So, you know, he's obviously... Uh, upset that his buddy got traded. I mean, you know, they're very, very close. They hang out all the time. They spend a lot of time together. But Kyle also knows if you want to win a championship, he knows the difference between a Kawhi Leonard and a DeMar DeRozan. So uh, I'm sure Kyle's going to be all in, uh, especially when he realizes, you know, his team, and going back to what I said early, you know, his team is still pretty much intact. I mean, the Raptors, uh, you know, didn't give up much to get these two guys. So, 
Uh, he's basically got the core of his team, the young bench that's been so effective, uh, and he's added two great pieces to that could really make a difference for him to have that uh, success that has been so elusive for him. Uh, and there's going to be less pressure uh, as well for Kyle because of the you know, now you have a top five guy, so now the pressure is on that guy. So uh, I, I think you know for Kyle. You know, once he gets over uh, missing his buddy, uh, I think he's going to realize, and if he hasn't already, that uh, this is actually a great move for him. Uh, we're talking to Leo Routens. A couple of more minutes, Leo. We'd be remiss if we let you go. I want to take this opportunity to talk about Canada basketball before we let you go. Um, some important, uh, uh, some important qualifying uh, games coming up for. Uh, for our Canadian national basketball team, and we've chatted about it uh, in the recent past, we seem to be entering, uh, as it's a quotation marks, a golden generation for Canada basketball. We've got some, we've got some really, really good talent uh, and some depth, perhaps for the first time in the history of our national team. Perhaps the greatest depth we've got in terms of. Uh, players in the NBA, Canada produces the second most other than the United States. We've got, you know, phenomenal talent, number one overall draft picks, R.J. Barrett going to, going to Duke, Corey Joseph, Kelly Olenek, of course, Tristan Thompson, Jamal Murray, uh, Dylan Brooks. There's a whole bunch of talent there, Leo. Uh, and I guess the goal is qualifying for the 2020 Olympics. And we've got to, uh, first of all, I think qualify for the World Cup, the FIBA World Cup, and go through all of that. Uh, give us, uh, tell us uh, where you see Canada basketball in the next couple of years and what we have to do to get us into the Olympic Games. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, a, this is a great time for Canada basketball. I mean, you have more, as you said, more NBA players than ever, more high-level Euro players than ever. Uh, just in general, the game is growing, getting better uh, at every level, and that's translating uh, to the national team, and, uh, and, and depth is the key. Look at the United States, what separates the United States from everybody else. It allows them continued success is depth. They always have an A and a B team, and, and, and the B team trains along with the A team. So if, you know, four or five guys, if a LeBron or somebody else says, I can't play, they got a guy that can just plug right in. And Canada basketball is getting to that point where if an Andrew Wiggins can't play, it's okay. You have, you have a Dylan Brooks. You have a Jamal Murray. But if one of those guys can't play, you have a Corey Joseph. You have a Kelly Olenek. So you need that kind of depth, and hopefully with experience, if guys still play in different segments, uh, that can be beneficial. And what's critical right now is this qualifiers, all the qualifiers that are going on. Because the way that FIBA has changed the structure of qualifying, if you don't qualify for the World Cup, you don't get to go to the 2020 Olympics. So, uh, uh, 20, uh, I don't even know what year, but any of the next Olympics, you're not, you're not even getting there um, if, you don't, uh, if you don't qualify for the World Cup. So, it's critical that Canada qualifies for the World Cup. And, and, uh, uh, this, it, it's become much more difficult in terms of how you got to do it, but more teams are in, so that part is easier. Um, and the difficult segments are the ones where you don't have NBA players. Canada can have NBA players in 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 July and September, uh, but once you get to the November February segment, that becomes very difficult. And now you have to make your best with a combination of uh, uh, Canadian pros playing in other places and 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 university and college players. So uh, those are the challenges that are facing Canada basketball right now. Uh, but 
nevertheless, the overall depth of the game in this country uh, still give Canada a very good opportunity. Leo, R.J. Barrett, there's been a lot said about him. What's your uh, assessment of his play? I said it a few years ago. Uh, you know, he's the next one. Um, he's, he's a tremendous player. He's, uh, you know, he really is uh, just kind of like we talk about Kawhi Leonard. He's the whole package. He brings everything to the table. Um, he's got great length, uh, wingspan, he's athleticism. And probably, you know, I, I think his biggest asset, and you, you hear this expression in sports, He's got a lot of dog in him. I mean, he plays hard. Uh, he's got a great motor. You don't have to motivate him. You don't have to push him. Uh, he's self-motivated, and and he wants to come at you. He wants to beat you. He wants to be better than you. Um, you know, when you compare to our other, you know, uh, uh, great talent, like an Andrew Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins is tremendous talent, but the one knock on him uh, is people would feel he doesn't have that dog in him where R.J. Barrett has every bit as much talent as an Andrew Wiggins, but he's got that extra something. Uh, and I think that motor is what's going to make him uh, a, just a phenomenal player uh, going forward in the future is potential NBA MVP. So uh, it's exciting to see. And, um, you know, he's, he's a wonderful young man as well. So uh, I think Canada's got a lot to be proud of with him. Uh, we've been talking to Leo Routens. Leo, uh First of all, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. My apologies. I think the last time we chatted, we said we'd leave you alone for the summer. But uh, certainly breaking news has made us give you a call because we wanted to take advantage of your expertise and your insight. And we thank you so much for that. Hey, it's always a pleasure, guys. My, my, my summer wouldn't be the same without talking to you. <laughs> thanks so much, Leo. You know how much we appreciate it. Have a great right, day. Have a good one. Thanks, Leo. Leo Routens. Uh, we'll be right back after the break with John Steinbretter, and we'll be talking the Open Championship. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced their loyalty program, but some listeners thought I was saying royalty program. <coughs> to be clear, Pizzaville cannot get you into the royal family. Stop that. However... After your sixth online order, you'll get a large pizza of your choice free with your seventh order. And that'll make you feel like a king or queen. Oh, boy. Find out more at pizzaville.ca. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. 
Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour one of the world's great golf writers, uh, renowned so many awards from so many different golf writers uh, organizations uh, senior advisor and writer for global golf post and also a senior writer for uh, masters.com um we're of course pleased to welcome back to the Nazawali Sports Hour on the Open Championship Sunday John Steinbreder good morning John how are you Good morning. How's everything today? Everything's good. It's a little rainy here in Toronto, so hopefully the weather's a little bit better where you are, John. But uh, actually, we have uh, British Open weather here in Toronto this morning. It's uh, it's chilly and rainy and windy, so uh, I don't know if they're going to get those conditions over at uh, Carnoustie today. They certainly didn't have them yesterday, but uh, John, yesterday at about... I think it was around noon or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. My phone started vibrating because all my golf buddies were telling me to turn on the TV because Tiger Woods had risen to the top of the leaderboard at the Open Championship. And uh, I guess there's no question, once again... Tiger Woods has proven that he drives the needle when it comes to viewer interest. Um, your assessment of that uh, conclusion and uh, what you foresee at the Open Championship today? Well, I agree with you that he does. Uh, he really uh, does drive the needle. He really gets people motivated and excited. Um, I think there's some people, and I would include myself among them, who really I'm a little tired about hearing about him. Frankly, I mean, you know, when I watched him play for a number of years and he was the best uh player <clears throat> excuse me in, in the world and, and probably the best in history during the stretch of time if you want to look at it so i respect and appreciate him tremendously i just um i don't know i'm i'm one of those uh old guys that's just sort of tired hearing about how great tiger is and how this is going to be the time he comes back and and, and everything else uh, you know, I want to see him win a couple of them, and then let's have a conversation and put him in the mix. The guy hasn't won a major championship in 10 years, and um, it's been several years since he's won a tournament. I get he's been injured. I get he's been out. I get that he's been out, but, um, you know, let's see how he does today. It'll be very interesting to see him in the mix and see him close, uh, top of the leaderboard with a, a, a couple of people who've been there before, chief among them, Jordan Spieth, and he's got a deal with, so it's not like he's uh, I don't think Jordan's too intimidated by Tiger right now, but it, you know, if, if he was in a final parent or a final couple parents today, and I think uh, the people at NBC have got to be thrilled that he is there in the mix and one of the last groups to go off today, I think there's going to be a lot of interest and it will make the tournament a lot more interesting for more people. It just doesn't make it that much more interesting for me. It's still a fascinating tournament. It's a great leaderboard. You've got all kinds of storylines, and um, I'm, I'm really excited for it. I, I can't wait. This is the first year the weather has really held up in uh, England, right? John, I don't remember it ever being uh, so good out there for the players. Well, you know, it's funny. I just got in, and, and uh, well, you know, I was just in, um, I was over in Europe, and I was in Belgium and Holland, and just got home late last night, and 
man, it was 85 to 90 degrees every everywhere. I was playing a bunch of areas, Colt courses and Tom Simpson courses in those two uh, in those two countries. Had um, really sandy based soil, and the fairways were just wicked dried out and blue sky every day. And you know, we were wearing shorts, and nobody wore even the sweater vests once the whole time. So this has been an odd summer for that part of the world, which, you know, uh, Belgium especially, you know, it'll, uh, given year will rain, <clears throat> excuse me, 290 days a year, it's just one of those climates that's not a lot of fun, got a lot of wind, has a lot of rain, as to Scotland, and uh, I turned on the TV this morning, first thing I did when I got up was turn on the TV, it was just crystal blue skies, so I, I can't believe how good the weather has been, and it, it's kind of fun, it's always, to have, uh, it's always nice to have one day in the Open Championship where it's raining sideways and blowing 30 knots and watching <laughs> these guys have to really battle the elements. But uh should be a hell of a finish this afternoon with the conditions. Even though the wind is going to be up a little bit, it still seems to be plain. You know, the, the weather is going to be sunny, and it, it looks like it'll be a, a chance for some people to go low if they can control the distance. Uh, we're talking to John Steinbrenner. John, of course, there's a whole bunch of players that we focus on, but usually uh, when you're in a major championship, some of the discussion revolves around the actual course. Of course, we're in Scotland. It's Carnoustie. Its nickname is Carnasty. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, there's been some interesting things happen at Carnoustie uh, over the years. Uh, of course, the most infamous one was probably 1999. And there was an interesting photo on the internet yesterday of Jean Vandeveld and Paul Laurie together, who are now interestingly back at Carnoustie, but they're announcers for their respective networks. Uh, I certainly remember 1999, and what I remember most about it is I thought the Open was over. I broke for lunch. We had a nice lunch up at the cottage, a uh, nice pasta lunch, and we finished lunch. I went back to turn on the TV, and the Open was still on. And I said, what the hell happened? Uh, and of course, that was the infamous blowout by Vandevelt on 18. Um, uh, your recollections of that particular Sunday, and uh, your uh, your thoughts on Carnoustie as a major championship course? Well, I mean, just to kind of answer the second part of that first. I mean, Carnoustie to me, it's it's Tom Watson, it's Ben Hogan, it's it's really you know probably the sternest test of all the Open Championship courses. Uh, Honestly, and you know, for Hogan to come over there, the one time he played in an Open Championship in 1953, the year was when not of a lot of Americans uh, made the trip across the pond, and it wasn't easy to get to, and it wasn't. Uh, it was usually very near when the PGA was played, also, so it was not convenient for these people. I think you know, Hogan coming over there, never really seen the course before, and then winning, and Watson winning one of his. Um, open championships here. And before uh, Tom admitted that the first three, it wasn't until after he won his third open championship that he became comfortable with Wings Golf. So when I think of two performances in, in professional golf history, I think those two stand out as among the best for these, these two people to come over and, and, and triumph on that golf course. And then, of course, you think of, you know, Vanderbilt and what he did in 99. I mean, just the, the ultimate. Uh, sports blow-up that you've ever seen. You just can't imagine somebody doing it. And it's sort of, uh, you wanted to holler at him to, to put the driver back in his bag. You couldn't believe what he was doing. And and, and then, of course, you think of Harrington winning there. And I think of Sergio, you know, when that happened, and Sergio feeling cursed when that putter has looked out, remember. And so 
So it's had kind of an interesting combination, hasn't it, of, of the greatest players in the world ever triumphing there. And you, you had the greatest, one of the great meltdowns in golf history there. And then it was an interesting place both for Harrington to win a, to win a major, one of his three majors, and then for Sergio also to reach such depth and despair when that happened. Um, that was kind of an interesting time in Sergio's life. And I think a lot of us after uh, Patrick uh, triumphed there that we were looking at Sergio, there's no way he was ever going to win a major championship. He just felt like the world was against him, and he had no chance, and he was so defeatist in his attitude. So it, it's really run the, the, the gamut, as, as I guess you would think uh, a great championship course would, of both um, you know, big wins, tough losses, and, and lots of between. Uh, I'm really amazed that Bernard Langer, 60 years old, and he plays like uh, the, the young boys out there. I am amazed at a 60-year-old like that. What do you think, John? He's one of my heroes, you know. And I, as you all talked about, and you know, you know, I've, I've covered 19 Masters over the years. The last 10 of which have been from Masters.com. And every year, I am amazed at Langer at at Augusta, which is a much bigger deal to. Uh, to contend at that age than it is in an open championship. Because in open, you can always, if you have the firm and fast conditions as they have right now, he can keep up distance-wise, and it's not that much of a disadvantage. But that guy is so fit, he's so determined, he's so competitive, and I get blown away every time I think about that he's had to overcome the yips at least three different times and, and keep it going. I just don't know how he does it. It's, it's really one of the great stories in sports, and I don't think it's told her acknowledge enough what Bernard Langer, uh, Bernard Langer does time and time again out the golf course. Uh, we're talking John Steinbrenner. Uh, looking at Carnoustie, uh, it's obviously dried out uh, from from uh, from tee to green, and it's Lynx style golf. It's not it's not the normal Lynx uh, weather conditions you get, but uh, it's it's a different game than you see played to a certain extent in the United States and Canada. Um, yet. Americans are dominating the leaderboard. Uh, eight of the top 13 going in this morning are Americans. Um, how different is it playing over at a course like Carnoustie, and how, how, how are they able to adapt that easily to a different game? Well, it's, it's a very different style of game, as, as you guys both know, and I'm sure haven't played you know, tons of lengths golf. I, I, I do think it's the players, rather than nationality, it's just the player who can adapt and adjust to it. I mean, we talked for years about Phil Mickelson never being able to adapt or adjust to it, and lo and behold, he did a few years ago and won that epic, you know, uh, open championship against, um, uh, you know, Stenson, and it just one of the greatest performances we've ever seen in golf. So, even for somebody like that, who for so many years couldn't seem to get the hang of it to figure it out, they got it figured out. I don't think Zach Johnson, we would ever look at Zach and say he was, you know, just on the surface, it looked like a great length um, golf player. And, and yet he won one uh, in St. Andrews, and then now he's he's been contending here. Um, I remember last year being at the Open de France in, in Paris when Tommy Fleetwood won that tournament about, you know, three or four weeks, about two weeks before uh, they all went up to uh, – Lancashire to play Royal at Royal Brookdale, and I was thinking Tommy Cleveland's going to nail him out because he's from that area, English guy, no links golf, and he was he wasn't a factor. So, you know, I think the great golfers, the vast majority of them, can figure it out if they're willing to make that adjustment. If they're willing to make the changes, if they're willing to be patient. This is what I, I did a piece years ago, Tom Watson, about 
flame links golf. And it's, it's just such a different mindset because you just can't throw the ball at the 10. You've got to play the angles. You've got to play, the, you've got to play your positions. And you also have to let issues and things roll off your back. When your ball hits a, hits a mound in the middle of the fairway and kicks into some bunker, you can't let it bother you. you just got to, you got to keep grinding and keep going. So uh, American, British, it really doesn't matter. It's all about your ability to do those things. Control your distance, keep out of the bunkers, uh, deal diversity really, really well, and, um, and and just stay positive with it because Lynx Golf has a way, as you well know, of making it crazy that things happen that are completely out of your control uh, while you're out there playing it. Uh, uh, John, I want to sort of size up this afternoon, and it is a pretty interesting leaderboard. Uh, there's a lot that's probably going to happen. Uh, Jordan Spieth, of course, uh, wants another Claret Jug. Uh, Kevin Kisner, uh, Tommy Fleetwood uh, is an interesting golfer. The Italian Francesco Molinari. Uh, McElroy's in the hunt. Woods is in the hunt. Uh, Tony Finau's got game. Zach Johnson, of course, we've talked about. Uh, even Phil, even Phil's uh, on the outside there. Uh, size it up for us. Who, who do you? Uh, well, who do you? Who do you see some some uh, some uh, great things happening from this afternoon? Well, you even mentioned you know you didn't even mention Xander. Who and Xander, is, of course. I uh, you know I mean this kid. I, I did a piece on him last year, Augustine. I mean I was I had to read in before the interviews. I had to read up on the guy uh, on the guy because I just knew so little about him. Uh, he's such a good player. You know, my thing, and I've said this about majors, and you and I have had this very conversation, I always pick the people that have been there before. You know, so I think a Zach Johnson, a Tommy, um, I mean, a Zach Johnson, a Jordan Spieth, somebody who's been there before, I really have a lot of confidence in Spieth today. Uh, the, the bad haircut notwithstanding, uh, <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any Samson syndrome there with him and I just think he is he's so pissed at people telling him how much how little he's uh, done this year and how much he's underperformed so I think he's got a, a great chance I think he's got an enormous amount of confidence um you know, you know Zach's kind of a funny outside thing Tommy uh, Fleetwood was my pick um uh, among my household here in Connecticut uh, my wife and daughters this is who I thought you know really had a good chance especially with it not being in his hometown of Southport, where Burkdale was. So I think that makes it a little bit easier. He's just playing such good golf. And, you know, as much as I don't believe it, but, you know, who knows? I mean, if Tiger gets on a run and he gets kind of confident today and a couple things fall, it could be pretty amazing. You know, I think if he starts to go low in the in the front nine, who knows what could happen there. I mean, that could be. And he's not in the last group, so there's not quite as much uh, attention on him at the moment. And that could be pretty good. Phil, I think is is toast. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't give him. I would give him a, a shot at all. And um, you know, as bad as Steve Barber is, Phil Taylor is worse. So we I, we got to do something about about that. But uh, I just think Spieth has got the the greatest chance. But place would go absolutely nuts if Tiger um, made a run. I mean, it, it's just going to be uh, very compelling television and such a great venue, such a great setting, and uh, my, you know, I love the Masters, and I love the Open Championship. I could watch either one of those time and time again. Oh, I'd love to see a playoff with, uh, oh. let's pick one, Tiger Woods, Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, and Tommy Fleetwood. Man, that would make for good television. 
Hey, you know, we hardly even talked about McElroy, and here's another one who's yeah. been completely lost earlier this year and, and kind of going through that same thing Sergio was gone through a few years ago where, you know, woe was him and the entire world was against him in golf and everything else. But um, he's having a great tournament, and, uh, I mean, I can't believe how off the radar he is, but he's somebody you'd have to think about. If he gets hot, and like Tiger, I think, gets some of that confidence back that when they played made them so incredible to watch because they were seemingly so confident. That could be really cool. Yeah, John, it looks like it, uh, Tiger's putting is not there. Every, every other part of his game is there, but the putting seems to be off. Well, you know, I just think it's uh, putting, as we all know, is is so much based on confidence, and putting is also based on practice. And I would still, I would argue that years ago, the reason his putting sort of disappeared on him, and there was a time when he was maybe or certainly among the best putters the game has ever known, especially from 10 feet or beyond. And the reason he was so uh, falling behind in his putting was that his back hurt him so much he couldn't practice. And we all know if you've ever had a little bit of a sore back and you've tried to sit out there and putt, I mean, it is more painful to hit putt after putt uh, than it is to hit you know iron after iron. If your back is bothering you, there's just something about it. So I'm still not convinced he's putting as often as he wants was able to, as far as a practice standpoint, I could be wrong, but it's been a long time since he just he made everything he looked at for years. I don't know if he used up all that goodwill with the golf gods doing that, or whether <laughs> he's just not been able to practice as much. But I agree with you. The thing that shocked me yesterday is he pulled driver out of his bag, and I think making the cut was a big thing for him. It gave him confidence. It made him more com- comfortable. And uh, and he would deny it, I'm sure. But maybe you know he could swing more freely yesterday, knowing that he made the cut and he didn't have to hold back anymore, and worry about making that cut. And he kind of played great with his driver, which has not been his 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 best performing club for a long time, as we all know. Anyways, we've been talking to John Steinbrenner. John's one of the golf world's most acclaimed writers, and check him out at. Uh, GlobalGolfPost.com, one of the uh, one of the internet's great, great digital golf magazines. You can find John Steinbetter's material there, and obviously at Masters.com. And uh, uh, nineteen books you've written, John. So uh, we uh, we always love chatting with you, and we always love your golf insight. Uh, and it's almost like a tradition. You join us on the Sunday when there's a major going on. So thanks so much for joining us. Well, you guys are great to have me, and I always love being on with you. And uh, I look forward to talking uh, at Del Reeve over the PGA in a, in a few weeks. And um, let's uh, sit down and and, uh, and watch today and have a lot of fun. It should be a great finish. I'm sure it will be. Thanks so much for joining us, John. All right, guys. All the best. Cheers. Thanks so much, John Steinbrenner. Uh, yeah, if they get you get a playoff with Spieth and Woods and uh, Molinari and, and Spieth and Woods would do it. You know what? Uh, I'm just telling everybody now: put the pasta on hold. Uh, we're having lunch is going to be after the playoff. I'm not missing it. So uh, that would certainly be fascinating to watch. I have a, you know, my gut tells me Tiger's going to do something special today. I don't know. It just it's been bubbling like a volcano for a while. It just he's been. It just it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. He's been, you know, he's been, he's been there. He's been there. He's been there, but uh, not within challenge of winning a major on the last day for a long time. Wally, he played yesterday. He could have shot sixty-two if his putting was on. Yeah, he was missing like seven, eight-foot putts, and he was making well, those before. And John is right. 
That's the difference in his game, for sure. Well, that's the difference in most people's games. You know, uh, what separates the wheat from the chaff is the short game, uh, and you got to be able to get the ball up and down. Certainly the wedges are an incredible, important part of golf, getting, uh, getting up and down from 100 yards in, and, you know, the yeah. flat stick on the green... You know, you got to be able to make those five to eight footers under pressure conditions. And in 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 the prime of his career, Tiger never mess never missed them. I remember remember the the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines in uh, 2008, and there was also a PGA at Valhalla against Bob May, where you know there were there were you know tens of times where Tiger could have dropped out of those tournaments, or and he just he kept he must, it's got to be so discouraging to the guy you're playing against. Uh, he just you know he just never missed five to ten footers under pressure conditions. Never mind missing the three footers, mm-hmm. but you know if you ever needed a par save or a birdie, I mean he he always 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 dropped them. And now you know he's joined the ranks of the mere mortals, uh, where you know what. They're not automatic anymore, and uh, and that's the difference. So it should, it should be an interesting uh, an interesting afternoon of golf. Now, as I want to go back, uh, we've got a couple of minutes back left, and uh, let's go back to the let's go back to the Kawhi Leonard, um, Demar Derozan deal from this perspective. Um, you know, there was there was uh, there was some criticism uh, of Masai Ujiri for. Trading Demar out of town. Um, there were reports, and, and Masai apologized to Demar at at his press conference over what he characterized as a miscommunication. And you know, the the whole point was that there was uh, seems to be that somehow Masai Ujiri made a commitment to uh, Demar Derozan somewhere earlier in the summer that you know his future was in Toronto. And a lot of people are upset that he went back on that commitment, and I and I, I don't understand that, uh, Naz. Um, you know, if anybody hasn't figured out that professional sports is a business, then I don't know. I mean, players leave in free agency all the time. If Masai made Demar Derozan a commitment, he made it at a point in time, probably when Kawhi Leonard wasn't on the table. And I use the analogy: you know, if somebody comes up to me and asks me if my house is for sale, no, there's no sign out there; it's not for sale. If somebody comes to me the next day and offers me twice what it's worth, yeah, it's for sale all of a sudden. Um, to me, that's just basic economics, isn't it? For sure, it is. And uh, this, but this story went out; it came out about two weeks ago. I think there was a Washington reporter that brought this out. And uh, he had said that uh, it was DeRozan for Leonard, so he had the the uh, the trade right there. It was about two weeks ago, and I think that's when he was talking to uh, Demar DeRozan. Also, your jury had said that at this time, nothing is brewing for yeah, him. Yeah, right? I, I think Demar. I think Demar being a professional athlete, and all professional athletes, and all professional, uh, and all general. I mean, look, we we uh, you know John Tavares came to Toronto this year. He left. Yeah. He left. He left Long Island. He left the Islanders. It's free agency. That's what happens. It's professional sports, right? Mm. Um, it's it's part of the business. And and if somebody offers you a top three player, uh, top five player, whatever he is, mm. it's business. You and you know if that if that's if that's on the table, uh, I don't like to use the words. You're crazy not to take it. You're crazy not to pursue it. 
And, you know, you know I give DeMar DeRozan credit. It was a, a very, very nice post he put on social media thanking the Toronto fans, thanking Canada, uh, uh, being very appreciative of all the time he spent in Toronto. And I, I just thought, you know what, DeMar DeRozan, you're a classy guy. Uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for your time in Toronto. And I hope uh, when you come back, I hope we all give you a standing ovation and we, and we show you our appreciation. Within a 17-day span, we got John Tavares and Kawhi Leonard. On that note, Nez, we got to go. To all our listeners, have a fantastic week. Be safe. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.